Flipping Christianity. I was wiping down the tiles after a shower this morning. This is a good thing to do. I don't, however, do it for myself, nor do I do it for the good of the bathroom, even though that is the explicit purpose of the activity. I don't even do it to be good. I do it to please the owner of the house, not to keep the peace, not to be a people pleaser in any negative sense. I do it because I know she values the activity. I also get up at unholy times, unholy hours, to make her a special coffee before she goes to work. There are lots of little things I do to be kind and thoughtful towards others. Do I say this to sound righteous? I do not. I say it because it suggests I'm not all bad. Am I bad at all? Well, the good book says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's Jesus in John 8 verse 34. I thought of myself as a Christian since a significant conversion experience at the age of 18. I'm now 60. In those 42 years, I have seen some positive changes, but nothing that would come up to Jesus' standard. Here's his standard. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 48. Herein lies a problem that leads to a world of torment for many Christians. I use Christian with a small c because I think it's not true Christian doctrine that causes torment. Far from it. The truth really does set people free. But error, of course, is the antithesis of truth and thus cannot result in freedom. I'm sad to say most of my 42 years as a Christian have not been happy. I wanted to see massive personal transformation through the agency of the Holy Spirit, but I've only experienced small change. I have occasionally blamed God for this, but for the majority of the time I have assumed that I am the problem. This has led not only to a sense of being criticised and accused all the time by my internal tyrannical dialogue, but also to a sense of then paying that forward to other people. In other words, as I criticise myself, I found that I have become critical towards others. I recognise a judgmental and critical spirit has been my constant companion. This, in itself, is a sin. Sounds like a no-win situation here, doesn't it? Well, if it's beginning to sound like a no-win situation, it isn't. I've got some good news for us today. A life and a lifetime of inner criticism has been so disheartening that lately I've even stopped going to church and pretty much stopped reading my Bible. Hope has diminished and I have lost what I call my invisible means of support. It is my belief that there have been thousands of Christians, small c, throughout history, who have even gone as far as needing to be hospitalised in psychiatric institutions because of a false sense of what God expects of them and how he sees them. I'm sure the accuser of the brethren is utterly delighted by this sad state of affairs. Let us then, let me then strike a blow for freedom and, dare I say it, happiness today. Are you ready for some joy in your Christian faith? I'm going to call this next section 10 things to love about you. The breakthrough came for me through a thought about Sodom and Gomorrah. To get the full impact I'm going to quote the full account from Genesis 18. Let me set a fresh frame for the story first. To me this is a story about God's willingness to show mercy 
and his reluctance to punish. In fact, we're going to consider the mathematics of mercy. So from verse 16 of Genesis chapter 18. The men rose up from there and looked towards Sodom. Abraham went with them to see them on their way. Yahweh said, Will I hide from Abraham what I do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him? For I have known him to the ends that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice, to the ends that Yahweh may bring on Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Yahweh said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether their deeds are as bad as the reports which have come to me. If not, I will know. The men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before Yahweh. Abraham came near and said, Will you consume the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous within the city? Will you consume and not spare the place for the fifty righteous who are in it? May it be far from you to do things like that, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be like the wicked. May that be far from you. Shouldn't the judge of all the earth do right? Yahweh said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, See, now I have taken it on myself to speak to the Lord, although I am dust and ashes. What if there will lack five of the fifty righteous? Will you destroy all the city for lack of five? He said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again and said, What if there are forty found there? He said, I will not do it. For the forty's sake. He said, Oh, don't let the Lord be angry, and I will speak. What if there are thirty found there? He said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, See now, I have taken it on myself to speak to the Lord. What if there are twenty found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the twenty's sake. He said, Oh, don't let the Lord be angry. And I will speak just once more. What if ten are found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the ten's sake. Yahweh went his way as soon as he had finished communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. That's the end of the quote there. Let's think about the mathematics of mercy. Sodom and Gomorrah were the cities of the plain, along with Adma, Zebolim, and Zoar, they formed the five cities of the plain, one of the most populous areas of the country. Some modern research quoted in Forbes magazine points to evidence of an area of 200 square miles being wiped out in a cataclysmic event about this time. That area would have contained a lot of people. Truth is, I don't know how many people were in Sodom and Gomorrah, but I do know that they weren't villages, they weren't towns, They were cities. That must mean thousands of inhabitants. Let's consider the mathematics. Let's suppose there were only 1,000 people there. A ridiculous supposition. Abraham's negotiation, which was clearly not against God's will, began with a plea for mercy 
if there were 50 good folks there. That's 50 divided by a 1,000. Abraham continues to renegotiate until the key number is 10. That's 10 divided by a 1,000, or 1% of my very conservative guess at the population size. If the population was more likely 100,000, this would lead us to 0.001%. My assertion is that God was more than willing to show mercy if 0.001% of the population were decent, righteous folk. How much more will he show you mercy if there is a portion of you that wants to do good, to do the right thing, and who stays tender-hearted before God? He will forgive and accept and bless you for as long as you are prepared to keep asking for forgiveness. Fierce theology would point out that no one is good. It would also miss the whole point of my article here. God's mercy. My argument is not that being 0.001% decent is good enough for God to forgive you and me our sins, but that it is an indicator of just how disposed he is towards compassion, mercy and kindness. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is not nasty. God is not spiteful. God is not a bully. God is not vindictive. But God is perfect. The standard is perfection. Therefore, he's provided a better way. Me coming to God is never going to work on the basis of how good I am. I trust only in the blood sacrifice of Jesus to be sufficient to cover, to atone, and wipe away all record of my sinful nature. But I personally needed to reconnect with just how generous God is towards those who are still struggling with sin, even after the forgiveness of the new birth. The Apostle Peter received a wonderful lesson from Jesus about this, which was then echoed in Peter's own letters. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 18, from verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Until seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't tell you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Whilst this is not unconditional forgiveness, it is meant to mean limitless forgiveness. Peter thought he was being generous, saying seven times. Jesus said, no, seventy times seven. In other words, an infinite number of times to forgive those who sin against us. The passage then goes on to tell the sorrowful and terrifying tale of the unmerciful servant who refused to forgive. We must forgive and show mercy. My focus here, however, is that Jesus is explicit about forgiving over and 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 over, 70 times 7 at least. Yet another powerful window into God's heart. Peter clearly learned this lesson and took it to heart. He says in his letter to Peter, chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient with us, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And just to echo God's reluctance to see anyone perish, here's what it says in Ezekiel 33, verse 11. 
Tell them, as I live, says the Lord Yahweh, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die, house of Israel? God is merciful. God is patient. God wants you to break free from the slavery that sin brings. So isn't it time you were a lot more merciful to yourself? If you have 100,000 faults, is it not possible that you have 10 good things that you could love about yourself? God desires us to treat others as he treats us and how we'd like to be treated. Mercy, compassion, grace, forgiveness, love, all these need to be high on our agenda. Be perfect, not a chance, not in my own strength. Be merciful, you bet. Thus, be kind to yourself while you are pressing on into excellence. Perfection is the standard, but mercy is the way. And here's the other wonderful outcome. The more you learn to show yourself mercy, the more you will find it in your heart to show mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Amen.